0: Welcome, everyone, to Episode 3 of Music Now Podcast. My name is Brandon Yates, and this week we have Chris Penn from Good Records in Dallas, Texas, joining us for a discussion that ranges from vinyl sales data to St. Vincent crashing his car. Chris sticks around afterwards to join Jamie White, David Trammell, and I to showcase our hidden treasure song picks from the 1950s, along with a current song pick that we're all digging right now. I hope you enjoy the show, and let's get the conversation started. Finn is the co-owner of Good Records in Dallas, Texas. He's also the co-manager of the Polyphonic Spree. You can catch Chris DJing around town under the moniker DJCP. Good Records was opened in 2000 and is going stronger than ever 15 years later. Chris has been a big influencer to the music scene for over 20 years here in Dallas. And if you ask Annie Clark, a.k.a. St. Vincent, as Mark Marin recently did, She will tell you that Chris played a big part in shaping her musical taste and influences when she was a kid in the record store, asking Chris for suggestions. Here, let's have a listen.
1: My mom used to drive me to the CD store. You just play the game of trying to impress the guy behind the counter.
2: Yeah, that guy's very important.
1: Absolutely. You know, next thing you know, you're, you know... But you try to like Zappa, <laughs> you know like <laughs>
2: That's, that should be a
3: memoir. I'm trying to I'm like really Zappa. I'm really
1: trying. I'm really trying.
3: Who is that guy at the uh, CD store?
1: You know what? It's funny. It, it's life kind of circles around. But he he his name is Chris Penn, and he ended up being the tour manager of, slash I don't know co-manager or something of the Polyphonics Spree. He was what? Yeah, he was that dude who was like, hey, check out. God, Solex, check out Chiba Mato, check out Buy This Sonic Youth Record. When blah, you were what, twa-
4: 13? Yeah,
1: 13, 14, hey. That's amazing. And check that was in out, Dallas? That was in Dallas. Hey, what about Nick Cave? Hey. Thank God for that guy. Check out PJ Harvey, all that, all that stuff. Oh. Like, Do you realize how important he was? He's massively important. I, that, I have to say, not to bring up age, but I, at this point in life, I keep looking back and just going like, thank God god for my high school theater teacher who made us read the new york times every week like thank god for chris penn who right. hit me to all this shit that i just wouldn't have it wasn't on the airwaves
0: thank god for chris penn
5: wow wow, that's a hard to follow up i guess that's the end of the podcast music now is over <laughs> how can we top that
3: thanks
0: for being here that's all we wanted to do is play merrick maron's podcast for you <laughs> do you remember her before the polyphonic spree coming into the record hold, store? hold on
5: a minute this yeah. isn't the Mark Marin podcast. How did I get here? <laughs> People I this are gonna start a, listening to that and well, say the Mark Marin podcast. <laughs>
0: Obama's got him right what? now. So
5: you know, I, That was amazing. Annie Clark, Barack Obama, Chris <laughs> Penn. I'm next in line for the Mark Maron. Uh, of course it's really weird. Uh, Annie's timeline and uh it's almost like a uh it's kinda weird. It's uh it's a combination of, like, sometimes they'll do it in movies and novels, or they'll do it from the novel to a movie where they'll kind of take two or three people and morph it into one character. Like, her timeline is a little off. She used to come into CD World, where I first worked uh, when I when I came to Dallas in 97. She would come in there, and then she also came into Good Records when we were on Good Latimer Street before we knew she was going to be in Polyphonic Spree, and before I knew she really uh, did music, and... I talk to her occasionally, you know, her, her she's uh, the niece of Tuck and Patty, these these folk, famous folk people, and and uh, anyway, so, yeah, I always thought she was real cute, but she was younger than me, so it was never like that, it was always like, it was kind of Jeff Tweedy, I saw something recently, Jeff Tweedy goes, you know, I go to the record store still just because the guys at the record store, they're listening to music, a good eight to ten hours a day so if it sticks with them and they recommend it to me they've already weeded out a lot of the the garbage so that's kind of what i always viewed my role uh, i would go to record stores growing up in san antonio and i'd do a circuit i would hit the flea markets and the different Hogwild and Flipside, and uh apple records on on san pedro and just do a do a circle like this store's good for heavy metal this store's good for classic rock and I would talk to the people there and they would say hey you like you know you like Rod Stewart if you checked out the faces and they would you know they would help me before the internet before you got all that stuff you would kind of like rely on those guys at the record store to, to to steer you in in your knowledge and we still do that at good records it's just we get a little you know a lot of people are doing it on their own which it's good and that's why we're we're not as in your face we kind of Wait a little bit, and then, you know, we'll talk to you, and hey, what, what's something recent you liked, and we'll turn you on, but I totally remember Annie, and then it's weird, she, she kind of befriended a guy, Toby Halbrooks, who's who's remaking friggin' Pete's uh, Pete's Dragon right now, he's done some films, he was our theremin player in the Python Spree, but he came to Tim and Julie and myself, he's like, hey, check out this. Recording of Annie, it's real shudder to think, sounding like it was real avant garde, and you know this is when she was doing demos, and so we checked it out, and we're like, cool, you know, and Tim and Julie like, let's, you know, we're adding a second guitar player. We, Ryan Fitzgerald was the very first guitar player, he's recently come back, he, another full circle thing, but anyway, so Tim started out playing guitar, and so Ryan, and we just wanted to add another second guitar player just to, to fill out the sound even more, and then Annie was. Was that and then she hung in there a while and then Sufjan Stevens snatched her up and then she went off on her own and then she's done the Mister David Byrne has snatched her up and I'm I'm sure she'll collaborate with some other people. It's kind of the one at Grammy. Sky's the limit. It's really. Uh,
0: Have you seen her or heard from her since this? Era?
5: Well it's weird. I, I gotta I gotta put this out there. I'm, I'm giving you some some dirt. So that's right. Me and my wife. Wa- <laughs> me and my wife went to Pearl Jam. And so Annie and, and uh, was there with the Portlandia girl, Carrie Brownstein. From Is it Carrie, the one that's in there?
6: Yeah. Okay.
5: Yeah. Anyway, I don't find that show that funny. But I like some of the stuff when Eddie Vedder was on there. But anyway, we went to Pearl Jam, and she's like two rows in front of us. And my wife and her wrecked a van when they were recording The Fragile Army at Steve Albini's studio. And Annie friggin' acted like she didn't even know us like because she was there with the Portlandia girl. Like it was like not even a head nod or anything, so I was really surprised when the the Mark Marin thing came out and she mentioned mentioned this like you couldn't even like wave. I wouldn't like I didn't expect like hey let's stop what we're doing, hug and you know break up your thing, just a little wave two rows back. Cause, <laughs> and then later on she gets on stage with Pearl Jam. They do keep on rocking in the All free right. world, the Neil Young song. And it's like so I, I'm a little I'm a little tiffed at Annie right now, but we'll make up. Yeah,
0: we'll talk to her when we have her on in two weeks.
3: Maybe, maybe her bringing you your name up. Well, you know, I, I, was it, the apology?
5: Maybe so. Maybe she felt a little bit. But she's she's been real supportive of the record store. She uh, she did an in store on the second or third record. You know what? You never know what's going through someone's mind. But I know she saw me because like I'm kind of I'm kind of not hard I'm kind of hard to miss. Like bearded guy and my wife and well, but back to the wreck in the van story. So. Here. they go out for sushi <laughs> and they were they were doing choir they were doing choir uh, choir they were doing vocals at Steve Albini studio and they went out to to get a sushi and my wife drove so she was responsible so I get a bill when they come back for like twelve hundred fifteen hundred dollars and he doesn't help out at all it was kind of like a, fo- a coin flip whoever drove the rental van oh from cabs and we had to pay for somebody else's bumper so, anyway, that's so Annie. You can send me some of that granny, Grammy money to help reimburse me for part of your bumper that you and Jennifer <laughs> wrecked the van. Oh,
0: we, we got a, a good half hour with her just on you, Chris.
5: Well, we'll, you, we'll come back. I'll come back. You get her, and we'll come out we'll tango. There we no, go. but I love Annie. I'm really proud of her, and I'm proud of what John Congleton's done with her. And it's uh, anything that's going on out of Dallas, Fort Worth, Denton, is I'm always for It's just a. Uh, it's kind of a the Leon Bridges thing that's going on right now is just I've never seen anything like that in my 30 years of being in the music business. I don't know his manager, the label, like they've got it going on. Two commercials before the record's even out. Two television show appearances. Tours selling out. But it's a uh, it's pretty uh crazy. It's but I like the that's the exciting part of working in a record store to me and just, I'm just, it's uh it's almost like a religion to me. It's i I'm not a, I have faith in in spirituality, but I'm not a real, I'm a God fearing man, but I'm, I don't know. It's just something that's my, I get off on that. Like it just gives me faith and like, it uh, excites me. And it's like, these guys are doing this. Wow. And it's just like, I like to be a part of it and help, facilitate and make that happen and turning people on the music it's just if it helps them to get through their day that's a little it's a little thing to me that's like kind of can't can't put your finger on it or really quant- quantify what that is to, but it's just like it's like I don't know going to see the Rolling Stones the tickets are way too much but was like I got to go that's like it's like skipping the Pope if he's coming to town <laughs> like you got to do it absolutely but I digress but but anyway, me and Annie are cool. She's going to send me some money soon.
0: <laughs> so you're from San Antonio, right? Yeah. So how'd you up in, end up in Dallas?
5: That's a, that's a funny story. I, uh, I went to school at Texas A&M. I graduated from Mar- John Marshall in San Antonio and went to A&M. And the reason I went to A&M was because I got that application before the, the UT application. So I think it was 20 or $25 at the time. So, like, I'm not going to fill out the the UT one. I've already done the A&M one. I felt pretty good I'd get in. So, I got in. So, I went to A&M as opposed to Austin, which totally we wouldn't be – we probably wouldn't be sitting here now because Austin is so – I would have flunked out, for one, probably going to so many shows. And I don't know. I guess I would have found my way. But in College Station, I started promoting shows and booking shows like Help bring fugazi and you know we'd book rainiac there and Lungfish, and uh what was the venue there well there was stafford booking? opera house There was a guy uh tc newyan who uh that's how i met tripping Daisy. that that'll get us to where i came to dallas is basically meeting tripping daisy meeting tim and coming to work here and i graduated and I hung out for a couple of years just doing shows and working at a friggin' 7-eleven i was doing two jobs just with just for the sheer hell of it. I don't know why, but I got so burnt out on working graveyard at Seven Eleven across the street from campus. But it was fun. You know, I'd get a roll of paper towels and lay down until I hear the door ding. But I'd still, I'd get, I'd take great pride in, I would clean the, the shit out of the parking lot. Like that thing was immaculate and my boss loved me. And, but anyway, so that's why I was, I was at A&M and we, i was like a, a big fish in a small pond because there wasn't a lot of a lot of crisp pins there so i was on i started working at the record store there marooned and i went into this record store marooned and it was very similar to hogwild records in san antonio like the, the same kind of way to do special orders the way that stuff was displayed and i was talking to the guys hey this is really like hogwild records They go well because we have the same owner. I was like, oh, my God, because I spent all my friggin' allowance at Hogwild. And so I would sh- I would shop at Maroon and eventually started working there. And then was booking shows and then working at 7-Eleven as well. Eventually I quit the 7-Eleven after doing that for three or four years. And I hung out for like two or three years after I graduated and did Marooned. And kind of the summers were killer there. So kind of came along. You know, Tim and Julie were like, hey, if you ever want to come work with us, you know, so were, we'll figure something out for you
0: so you were a big fan of tripping daisy then
5: yeah it's i went and saw them it was a weird night i saw them on a wednesday or thursday night at Stafford opera house and was just blown away i was like what the hell is this this is from dallas like was this? it after jesus or no it was uh right before, right when bill came out oh, wow. like right my bill might not even been out yet but it, if, if bill was out it was out for you know a month if that and so I started stocking Bill at the store, and they eventually did an in-store at, at Marooned, and we became friends, and I'd you know take a weekend and go hit three or four shows here or there and hang out with them and help them out and so as the rest they say it's history. All right.
0: What was your personal music scene like growing up in San
5: Antonio? Well, San Antonio is the heavy metal capital of the world, so there was a radio station 995 Kiss they had a guy named The the Godfather, Joe Anthony. Uh, and he would have a show on Saturday nights. And it was just that you, you were into metal. Like, I would loved Iron Maiden, Saxon, Motorhead. Uh, you name it. I mean, was got their start there. A lot of bands rushed. I think played their first ever U.S. show or the second in San Antonio. Like, Triumph was huge there. This Canadian power trio that was kind of like Rush Light or they did the Us Festival but it was real heavy metal so I grew up started out with classic rock with my dad and my stepdad but then grew into heavy metal and then out of heavy metal I went into punk and then out of punk you know kind of into indie rock but all along the way I was always had an undercurrent of of, uh, the classics you know the Stones the Beatles and what was your
0: first concert you ever went to?
5: How, did you know that? Did you read that on the internet? It was uh, this show. I think it was 78. Blondes have more fun. Do you think I'm sexy? And my dad, inexplicably, who recently passed, took me to this show. Right. And I saw uh, I saw Black Sabbath on Mob Rules. I think it was like 81 at the San Antonio Convention Center Arena. And used to, you'd camp out for tickets, and you would go camp out at the actual arena, and you'd spend a night or two before, and it was just a big lead-up to it. But I definitely remember Black Sabbath Mob Rules Tour because it reeked of marijuana so bad. But at the time, I didn't know what that smell was. And we were walking around the third balcony, and I think my dad was trying to get a contact high (laughs) because we were just kind of walking around like people watching. Keep walking, Chris. Keep walking. Yeah, and i was just kind of like this smells kind of funny i might have even have said that to him he's like don't worry about it i think he was just walking around because it's
0: a dead skunk
5: yeah. well ba- back in the day i mean people used to do beach balls and throw frisbees and one show we were on the floor and i swear to god i got hit in the head so hard with the frisbee but it was like bam and they used to turn up the intermission music a lot louder and that was almost part of the show as well and that that's one thing i'd like to bring back and I get a kick out of when Polyphonic Spree plays, I'll pick out the music in between and, you know, I'll kind of read the room and, and DJ for for the shows. And I think it totally adds to oh, the, yeah. the people's vibe of the show. But I got hit so, hit so hard in the back of the head, but I knew the whole arena would watch because you would watch for the flying objects. So I got, bam! And I just had to act there and, like, be real cool and, like, it didn't hurt. But I was, like, inside I was crying. <laughs> but... But it was great. My dad and my stepdad, we would... Uh, we Would, would you all three th- hang out together? No, it was it was just weird. It was like my mom and my dad divorced after about 13 years when I was 13 or 14. There was a year or two break, and then my stepdad came in, and he was like, it's like I didn't miss a beat. I had a concert buddy to take me. And then what? I would get a shirt at every show, and good Lord, I threw them all away or goodwilled them. But one year... And I did it. I did not wear the same shirt. Like I, I wore a different shirt every time. And every, all the teachers and the the, the the fellow students were like, "What is wrong with this long?" I used to have real <laughs> long hair, and I'm like, "What's wrong with this guy?" But I, I did the the I ran the however long is in a school year. I didn't wear the same shirt. I made sure <laughs> I, I I had it timed in my closet by. They're all on hangers, so I would know that I didn't repeat but that was just it was a huge thing to me and that's kind of was our football game or our basketball game was going to concerts so i've kind of been hooked ever since and i don't know that my wife fully understands that t- to the tune of who she married i mean my wife's a huge music nut She sang in the choir the polyphonic spree but she just doesn't it's like why do you want to go out you've seen all the bands it's just like <laughs> it's kind of in my dna was there ever one of those concerts
0: or artists that really changed you, kind of changed your life or uh, at least your musical?
5: There was, you know, it really I can't really say one over the other, but there was, you know, there's different moments like I saw Blue Esther Cult when I was real young and they had a song called Godzilla and the drummer leaned back and put on a Godzilla mask and he had friggin drumsticks that glowed and that really stuck out to me and then I saw Bad Company and they had lasers and there were just different moments of like the production of shows where it was just like, Oh, that was awesome. But for me, I just have a, a favorite band or, you know, there was one time, I think it was freaking Ted Nugent and I was on the front row and it was general mission. I was on the rail and all along this like 40 or at the time a 40, 50 year old dude was trying to scoop me out of the way and stuff. And I never let him break me and he didn't get up front. And afterwards, he goes, Man, you you held out. I got to give it to you. Like he was like freaking trying to kick a 16 year old kid out. It's like, I got here first, man. Don't use your girth. Like at the time, I was skinny and a little kid. And it's like this 40, 50 year old guy's trying to get this kid out. But there's little moments like that. And I, we used to come to the Texas Jams. I think we started doing that in 83 or 82. I didn't see the first couple. That would have been crazy, but I saw Aerosmith at the Texas Jam, and it was so hot and couldn't move. I threw up water just, like, on myself because there's, like, no personal space. Everybody's shirtless. I had a shirt, but it's, like, skin rubbing skin at 80,000 people at the Cotton Bowl, Whoa. but there's definitely a lot of... first The first Lollapalooza, I did all those, and I drank the ball with the, the Jim Rose Circus Sideshow. Like, uh. I was all drunk and, like... Eddie Vedder from Pearl Jam did it. Uh, Chris Cornell from Soundgarden. Uh, Al Jorgensen from Ministry. is like, I'll do it. <laughs> and at the time, I was dating this girl, and she goes, what did you do? You eventually want to have kids, and you drank some freaking idiot circus guy's bile? I was like, it was cool, honey. Did you say bile? Yeah, he, he he had this thing. He would shove it through his nose, and it would go down his stomach, and he would pull it out. Uh, call himself Matt the Tube Crowley, I think. I don't know. What, I'm having a flashback here. This is all coming back to me. Did you get some heartburn after that? But uh, it, it was. But they mixed the they mixed the stomach stuff like ketchup and oh. chocolate syrup, and they shoved it all in there. And but it, it was really just that really just that crap. What wasn't that bad? But you definitely needed to have be about five or six beers in to do that to pull that off. Cons My concert going like. I love the, the music as well as the spectacle and the people watching and just the whole down to to tailgating the parking lot. I just get off on that. Like when the Stones were here, I was there. The, I spent. I got a hotel the night before because I was doing something in Fort Worth, and I was out there the day before trying to buy merch, and then that morning I was down at the – they had a big mobile truck, and I was there at 10 a.m. because they told me <laughs> it was in open. I was like waiting to buy merch. It's like a it. kid in a candy store.
0: That's great. I'm sure your kids love those $45 T-shirts as well.
5: Uh, yes. Oliver has the uh, I think it was a $80 friggin' jersey, and then a a $45 camouflage shirt for Archie. But now one of is autographed by Stephen Tyler because we went to Hit Records and we met Stephen Tyler the other day. God bless him. He was super nice, but he needs to get out of the country music game. Those first six or seven Aerosmith albums are kind of untouchable. It kind of gets a uh-huh. hall pass, but the from For me, from after Pump On, it's all criminal. Agreed. But they they had some greatness. They lost their way though, for sure. I've got an Aerosmith tattoo on my butt, by the way, on my right cheek. No. I'm gonna go and lay it. I'm gonna lay it all on the table, so we can play this podcast at my funeral. (laughs) Done with mirrors. (laughs) Done with mirrors. (laughs) You know they, they 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 always joked about uh that was their comeback album, and and it wouldn't have mattered, but they're like. And then we put everything backwards and no one could read it so they didn't sell. I was like, no, because songs weren't that good. I mean, it had some spirit to it. I liked it, but it just didn't have any hooks. It's like you can't blame it on the fucking writing on the album being backwards. Blame it on the drugs not being good enough.
0: So what are your overall thoughts on uh, the current state of the music world these days?
5: Believe it or not, I uh, <laughs> I go to bed thinking about it at times and I, go to, I wake up thinking about it because outside of good records, whether we succeed or fail, it's like I've got another vested interest being involved with the band. And it's just, there's a, there's a window of time where, you know, you start out and nobody really knows who you are. And then you got a year or two where you're the flavor of the moment, then you got another year or two where you're still kind of going there. You still, you know, you're on the backside of the flavor of the moment. You're still real popular then you have another year or two where you put out another record and you know you lose some fans and it's kind of harder people can get real educated and know what they're getting and and they don't have to buy it eating in any way i mean in a way you buy if you if you pay for the streaming service but you know people take less risk now musically like People used to buy albums based on what they looked like, the cover, what the artist was who rain produced dogs. it. That's my proud moment. I bought Rain Dogs for like five bucks at Empire. I mean, totally. I mean, just, I I would go to my mom to the grocery store. They used to sell albums at grocery stores. And she's like, you just want to go and get uh, Cheerios? I was like, no, I wanna, to be quite honest, I wanted to get you to buy me an album. Get like ACDC or Foreigners first album right next to the cold cuts. It was, it was golden to me. It was like at HEB in San Antonio they'd sell records, and they've done they did that at all rec- at all grocery stores at some point. So, being an owner of um,
0: a record store, what are your thoughts on streaming these days?
5: Well, it's, I mean, exposure. It's great. You want to go. You want to check. Somebody told you this. You want to hear it. It's great. It's just, you know. Pythonic Spree you know we took everything down for a while we're like screw it we'll just stream it on our website but then we're like well hell somebody's at a party they want to play it we're not in the mix like it's kind of like you got to have to play ball a little bit and yet again I think the major labels and the record labels in general just didn't they weren't watching their backs well enough I mean Lars Ulrich got so much crap when Napster was going on, but, I mean, he really had a point, you know? It doesn't matter if he's got enough money. If people still want to buy it, he deserves it. I mean, he came up with that stuff, him and James Hetfield. and. But aren't we happy yeah. the music industry
7: isn't based around some guys who don't give a shit about it anymore? There's there's, there's that.
5: Um, you mean the suit and tie type right, guys? I'm sorry,
7: yeah.
5: Well, yeah, but a little bit they were a gatekeeper for better or worse now there's 50 million bands we can all four of us we could record something here right now we could put it on SoundCloud and we're a band you like there's no barriers anymore which is great it, yeah. to people's creativity i get it but there's a moment where it's like they were the filter and they would hear they would hear the stuff go that's a hit I want to give this guy a million dollars. I want to let him go woodshed. I want to give Stevie Wonder an advance of sixteen million for five albums, and he came back with some great stuff. So there's a there's a there's a thing there. I'm real curious. I mean, we don't have a time machine and can't go back and crystal ball and see what would have happened if if this was going on then. I don't think we would have nearly the greatness we did. But I totally get what you're saying. It's like you got these idiots like they just want to make money we'll sign 40 bands and if only one of them hits we're going to throw it all against the wall and if that one hits it's going to pay for all the other ones and they're just bean counting and they don't they don't really be passionate about it i totally get that and that's why i think it's great but a little bit you know it's from a standpoint of good records i mean every tuesday when now it's friday release date but it's like you gotta we gotta pay buy all that stuff to you know so it's like we we curate there and we cut out some of the fat you know but it's like if we were to try to carry every single release that comes out we'd be bankrupt in the first month so it's it's kind of our mo- our motto is like we're gonna d- get what we deem to be good and you know and and sell that And we were a lot more restrictive in the beginning now it's just like i've got to sell what people want to buy you know there's certain certain artists that i don't really care for but if they're you know "Quote unquote," moving units, then you know I'm I'm, and it makes people happy. I'm not gonna be the one to say my taste is better than your taste. That's not what I got into music for. It's like, right? For me, it's a way to escape. It's like everybody's got bills, they've got life problems, deaths in the family. It's like if that song can take you away from all that for the three and a half minutes, five minutes, however long it is, then that's what it's about to me. But I think artists should get paid. So you get these people. Like you're saying, we don't have the suits in the way, but it's like, pay these guys. you know. And the labels didn't, they, they could have worked a better deal with Spotify and stuff where it paid better. And based on that guy's getting his stream and cut out the distributor, it's like, and a lot of these places make you use a distributor, Apple, iTunes, and Spotify, you have to go. So they get 15% just to, like get you into these things i see all the sides of it i just you know and i'm not even that worried about good records i mean one day it's gonna it's gonna run its course i hope it doesn't like but vinyl the resurgence of vinyl came back at just the precise time where it needed to for us we were moving we had to move uh to a bigger location we didn't have to move to a bigger location. We went for it. We got some relocation money from the city because a dart rail was coming in where we were at. So we're like, what do we do? We should have gotten out of it. But no, we keep going. We get bigger and, <laughs> and add more inventory and more stock because the when we opened was 2000. 1999 was the biggest selling year of the CD. So the whole time we've been open, we call ourselves good records because we've always carried vinyl. And that, I don't want to. Body to think we've ever jumped on the bandwagon granted we we couldn't stock as much because they weren't making as much then you know when we first opened but the whole time we've been open it's we've been battling that like the decline of the compact disc was shoved down everybody's throat right. and they kind of the the death of vinyl was a just a falsehood just to get people to to buy the twenty dollar cd or whatever they were pricing them for and you know being from a manufacturing standpoint i i've produced albums and helped them get made and they don't cost that much to make. so we wouldn't be in this boat if these idiots at the labels weren't trying to charge 16.99 for a madonna cd the damn thing costs less than a dollar even at on a small scale those big scales i mean 70 cents you know that the booklet's real thick you know maybe back to a dollar but they're mass producing it so much they get a better break it's right. but these idiots they wanted more, more, more. So it's like if you charged from the outset, like albums used to cost six ninety nine, five ninety nine at somewhere else, as as late as you know mid eighties. But you know now that technology is it's real labor intensive and the materials aren't that much. But to make vinyl, it's it's time consuming. You gotta have somebody there, and it's like the machines are always breaking down. And but this the labels didn't safeguard themselves they didn't they wanted to charge too much for the cd they wanted to they didn't do anything about the mp3 they just like out of sight out of mind they didn't figure out how to to block it or quit file sharing they just oh, what do we do we just keep doing what we're doing do the same thing it's like you're running into a wall you're running into a wall eventually you know it's you know your head's gonna get you're gonna get a bruise something's gonna happen you got to do something different and they just let the let that Go unchecked, really. I'm I'm not saying Lars, you know. But he was like, what the hell? Nobody's doing anything. I'm going to try to do something. He might not have went about it the right way, but at the end. But at least he
0: was against, you know, I think the Napster side, which was the illegal file sharing compared to what streaming is. I think there's a big difference there. Oh, yeah, there's a big
5: difference. And you can't, you know. I mean, I guess you can rip the the audio if you really wanted to. But, I mean, there's no need to. It sits there. You can just pull it up in your phone bam that album's there but uh, it's great i mean it's a great tool to to turn on the music and i guess at the end of the day if you really like that band you're going to go see them live you're going to give them, them money it. that way you're going to go buy a, buy a shirt if if it really really resonates with you you'll you know like i got to have the vinyl like that's something i want to cherish and keep it's just it really it's going to come down to the consumer if they really want artists to keep doing it they're gonna like have to help them out a little more than it's going on now right outside of the records keeping myself as a record store owner out of that if you want to like have those bands go on tour you're gonna have to like sweeten the kitty for them i mean i'm not saying you guys i mean you guys are still buying music you know but you're you're doing spotify i don't blame you. it's technology is unbelievable i mean pull that up that amount of music at the Clip click of a finger on a screen. So I read
0: an interesting um, stat today, as far as you know, just overall sales. I was looking at audio streams, video streams, downloaded tracks, CD sales, vinyl sales. Anyone want to take a guess at what audio streams? Fifty-eight point six billion. Billion. Music video streams seventy-six point six billion. Downloaded tracks. Five hundred thirty-one million downloaded albums, fifty-three million CD sales are at fifty-six mil- million, and vinyl is at five point six right now. Five
5: point six million so far this year. Wow. It's vinyl still a blip on the radar, but it's really helping the the mom and pops like us. Yeah. Otherwise, we'd be it's, close.
0: What are we What are we, Chris? Like nine years year over year, I think that it's fifty percent, forty percent greater than the last year, as it, far as
5: it's it's still going up i mean at some point i think it's going to stall a little bit and what's happening now a lot of these plants can't keep up and that's kind of sucks you know there'll be a a record i could sell all day long there'll be times where peach beach beach boys pet sounds is out of print just momentarily while they repress and it's like i could sell two or three of those a week just because it's it's a it's a standard that people learn about and it's like they're doing their research and that's what i love about good records is one of the biggest things i just want to have it like not that it's a museum but it's somebody's going on their course like to have like the it's like your textbooks like having them there for when that kid's ready he'll get the ramones he'll get the clash then he'll work his way back and he'll get elvis presley or he'll get the beach boys like he'll figure out brian wilson was a nut job but was a crazy man in the studio and pulled all this (laughs) stuff off
0: something else i was looking at we were just looking at um as far as there's five point six million vinyl sales this, this year. Um, I looked at the top ten that have sold and you, you you can't play this. But I was really shocked at number one. Anyone? Jamie, Dave?
3: Vinyl? Give me
0: vinyl. genre. Pop. Oh Taylor Swift? Taylor Swift. Of course.
5: How much has she done?
0: Thirty three thousand copies. Which is two percent of her overall sales this year. That's,
5: that's so weird. That sounds like a big number to us, but it's in the scheme. It's nothing tiny, but, but, but huge think, for vinyl. I, I wouldn't think that's that's, that's, that's this, this
0: year. That's this year.
5: What did Jack White do last year? I mean, he did like forty thousand of something of, of Lazaretto. He did a lot last yeah, year. It,
0: um, but, but I think I think the great thing about seeing her at the top of this list, so while she's not our favorite, but. Look at her fan base, you know. I mean, she's kind of teeny bopper, like everyone that's you know that's buying her records and stuff. I would guess is an average age of twenty one. Just guessing.
7: I wouldn't figure that she would have even pressed final. Well, th- but that's, that's she's the great into thing, it. That's is, why it happened. Awesome. And but they now see it's selling.
0: Yeah. And now we have these kids. Like, if they're buying, if the, she's a number one record seller this year, you know, so far, I think that's a great thing. I think it's you know, there's a couple, there's two other ones on here. You know, Sam Smith was number six. And, um,
5: is Ed Sheeran on there? No, no. Why don't you go down the list? And Hozier.
0: Um, any guesses? Let me, let me, let me quiz Chris here. Uh, who's number two overall?
5: Um, would it be the Beatles or Pink Floyd? No. Are they on, are they in the top 10 this year? No, they're not.
0: Oh, Pink Floyd is. I'm sorry. Pink Floyd's number seven with Dark Side of the Moon.
5: That's like, uh, that's like Frampton comes alive. It never (laughs) goes away. But, but the Taylor Swift thing, what's great about that is, she's teaching these kids the culture because for a bit, it was going to be lost because these kids are just like, what's that relic? But if you noticed how many commercials you see with a turntable now and movies, back incorporating that, it's just, it's pretty crazy. Like you'll see animated McDonald's commercials. They've got a turntable, like it's hip. Well, that's for their marketing. Yeah, but it's, it's, it's not for back. the
0: audiophiles anymore. Like it's, no, it's now it's for the kids, for everyone. They they're they're learning what we knew is kids. Which is
5: great. It, they the might, physical product. They it's might be coming coming back market. from it from a wrong wrong place, but it's still good. But yeah.
7: But yeah, I mean she's Number kind two. of a savior right now. Like the last podcast that we had.
5: About, uh, oh, she came out and talked about yeah, the yeah. Apple streaming. Yeah. Well, yeah and was, she did the thing where she was going to Well, she's got and she's She's smart and I heard she puts on a great show. Not my cup of tea but, nope. but right. she probably has good people around her too that have been in the music business. Like, hey, you've got you're you're the upper echelon. Madonna's not there right now. She's MIA because she's lost her way. So you've got you can you've got the clout and the chutzpah to to say, you know what, this isn't right you're not going to wait a month to pay us. You need to pay everybody. <laughs> you're going to make money. You're going to sell ads on that and sell your subscriptions.
0: Sufie and Stevens. Number two,
5: Carrie oh, and Lowell, that's selling great for us.
0: 31,700 units.
5: We sold 120 Leon Bridges albums in the first week.
0: Has
7: he done an in store?
5: Well, it's, he was going to do this last record store day. We had to pull out cause I think he was going to be in London or something. So I had to let him, let him go on tour. But, uh, yeah, real down to earth guy, and can't wait to see. Hope hopefully the, uh, the momentum carries because it's right now his records in between pressings. I'm out. Oh, really? So it, it's that's they got to figure that out. They need more yeah. plants and figure out a lot of these plants. They make more money when something's new in the setup. The represses they don't make as much money, so they're just worried about. They'd rather take the business of brand new because they're going to make more money there. So there almost needs to be. Two plants, like one that's strictly for making the new stuff, and then one that's just like keeping the stuff in print. In print,
0: are all these plants still in the USA? Or are they are they bringing the stuff over? Or are they,
5: they make vinyl in Czech Republic and oh. weird and other places. That Czech Republic, I haven't done it, but I've known some other bands and labels that have done it, and pretty good quality, and it's cheaper. Are hmm. like you thinking? Except for at bills
7: where he charges ninety
5: five dollars. Yeah, it airport. doesn't. Well, I, I did that. It hit records when I met Stephen Tyler. A, a CD that would have been 8 or $9 at my store. I, I had my three kids with me. Well, actually, I had two kids and Tim's kid with me. And I bought him each a CD to get something signed by Stephen Tyler. CDs were 20 bucks, no prize stickers. That's a, that's just business. like That's bad business. If That's why he's not going to. His place is a glorified museum. At Ron Ross had hit records. Love him to death, but he's not like a functioning record store in my eyes
0: cd sales versus vinyl sales now for you, you guys are good records 56 million and 5.6 ten 10 you think 10 percent vinyl I, me personally i would think you're probably doing no more it's, a, vinyl it's about CDs. 80 20 80 20 vinyl?
5: 7 yeah eight. that's great and uh we're actually uh i'm, not, I'm always going to carry cds i mean i i i say that uh as long as they keep putting them in cars. But soon they probably won't have CD players in cars, you know? <laughs> but uh, I'm thinking about moving all the CDs upstairs and all vinyl downstairs. I'm in the midst of making some new racks and getting that together. The reversal of what once was? Yeah, it's... You know, you got to roll with what's what's happening. Right. And just the more, more shopability, the more you're able to flip through it, the better for me. So, so. your
7: numbers were how many for CDs this year?
0: 56... Um, Millions for CD and five point six so far. Uh, that's just an H one for that. It's just the USA as where well. are they buying them
7: online? What's that? CDs selling so many more than records. But here we have a case of a record store being.
0: Yeah, I f- mean, you know, Amazon record stores. I mean, there's still it's still very prevalent. You know, uh, medium and
5: when when CD uh, what's it CD source CD source closed. We got a lot of their customers, and there's certain people that. You know, they keep up with technology. They still may have a smartphone, but they've been doing it so long. Like, they've got walls of CDs. They're just like, they're invested in that, and they're going to stick with that. Right.
0: So, you mentioned Leon Bridges uh, was a big seller, and you sold out all of his stuff um, in the first pressing. What are some other, what's, what, do you know what your biggest seller this year has been so far?
5: Uh, well, D'Angelo's record's done really oh, yeah. well. That's, a, that's, a, but that came out late. That was 14, last, yeah. yeah. But the vinyl, I don't think, hit until 2015. Probably done about one hundred and fifty or so of that on vinyl. Okay. Uh, Kendrick Lamar's albums done really well. It's a it's, butterfly. Yeah, but it's it's a bootleg version of it on vinyl. But we've sold about eighty to ninety of those. I'm a little leery of that because it's not. A lot of these people are just using the CDs as masters anyway to press vinyl. It's not true analog or you know truly mastered for vinyl. But do your really, research. Well, yeah, yeah, it's. It's out there if you want to search it out, but you know there's there's certain ways if it's enough of a, the wave bit rate is this it's you know it's close to analog and it's going to be the the best it can be but you know, I think the D'Angelo is you know probably more or less just the so CD. 150
0: uh, that's that's a great number for a record as far as well the first six six months or yeah.
5: I mean, for us, you know, but yeah, say, I mean, say you went to Waterloo and Austin, their figure might be 200, 220. Okay. But, you know, there was there's certain things i order heavy on, like the new Alabama Shakes. We've done about 90 to 100 of that. Uh, Sound and
0: Color, which uh, came in at number four. So that's sold over 25,000. It's 25,600 copies so far.
5: My Morning Jackets, 70 to 80 of the new one, thereabouts, maybe a little more. But I'll order if I, if over time I know it's gonna sell, I'll get ninety to hundred and twenty just so I know that I'm gonna have it and I don't have to worry about the the repress factor occasionally I'll get burned like there's a band of horses record their first two were like printing money for me but they they came out with one it was uh can't remember the name of it, but I've got a lot of it in my back storage room <laughs>
0: <laughs> so how many um how many albums? This year sold over a million copies,
5: vinyl or CDs. All all sales, all sales. Jesus, I'm sorry.
0: This is um, this is physical sales. Yeah, these are this is vinyl and CDs and cassettes. There's very small number. Probably
5: probably two to five releases.
0: One so far, and that's Taylor Swift who came out beginning of last year. She's still selling this thing. Um, Drake is in it. He's close. Nine hundred sixty-five thousand. Uh, a, a very strange one that I thought came in at number three is Fifty Shades of Grey at seven hundred twenty-seven thousand copies. This this thing sold. Uh, and number four is Kendrick Lamar's To Pimp a Butterfly at six hundred thousand.
5: So, it's it's so weird. Um, uh, not to keep on the friggin' Leon Bridges train, but you know he entered number five on Billboard, and he was number one in R and B and hip hop, but he only sold forty two thousand or. Less than fifty for the first week. Used to, you'd see these artists that would do a million in the first week. Like Blink One Eighty Two's coming out with an album, they sell a million the first week. Madonna's coming out. nobody's buying. And so there's there's something to be said for that for for the you know the streaming versus physical. But you know some of that stuff didn't deserve to sell that much in my opinion. Right. So. You know, it's like Kendrick Lamar. He's critically acclaimed for him to do six hundred thousand. You said, I mean, that's that's still probably pretty solid, regardless of what year it is. You know, because he'll do
0: over a million. So I think
5: think you just gotta like you gotta have the goods, even more so. You can't really, there's not a lot of places to hide. There's you can be heard and see if your songs are any good.
0: So uh, you guys do a great job at Good Records on Live from the AstroTurf. Um, You've got a lot of great things coming up. I've seen some great shows there that you guys have as well any um any good crazy stories from the astroturf
5: is this p is this p g thirteen or n c seventeen this <laughs> podcast triple x
0: this is all you baby do um, you got
5: well it doesn't it doesn't incriminate me, so I'll tell the story so well, one of many stories but uh the spam beach with sparks uh, who we really liked at the time um uh, they came and did an in store at the old store and uh carlos jackson used to partake in smoking marijuana and right before they played they were all there was like a back room behind the stage which our stage at the time was like two or three planks of plywood on top of two to three stacks of milk crates and we'd throw carpet and a little scrim in the front of it but anyway it's like 15 20 minutes after they're supposed to go on and then finally i go back there. I was like guys we got a pretty packed house let's go out and play and they come out and it was like Cheech and Chong with the up and smoke van. The two <laughs> push doors in the back opened up and it's like, all right, there's no surprise what was going on there. And it's like, here comes Beach with Sparks. But it was uh, <laughs> very fitting there, that Neo, Psychedelia, uh, Flying Burrito Brothers kind of thing going on. They were great. Um, we had Granddaddy. We sold so many of their albums at the time. We sold a lot of vinyl and we sold like three to 400 of their CD and they they uh their label recognized that because they could tell by sound scan so they next one of their legs of to their tour they came through and scheduled a day just to do an in-store so basically they played a show as if it was a regular concert it wasn't like a 30 minute set 20 30 minute set that the in stores is normal they did an hour and a half oh, did wow. visuals we had people friggin' in the middle of the street couldn't get in because the old store was pretty dang small so that was a that was a great one and yeah, yeah, yes. Yeah. Did their first ever in store at at our new location, and we just recently had TV on the radio. We've had some great ones, wow. Daniel Johnston. Um,
7: He's coming back through, I think.
5: Yeah, he is coming. Um,
8: I
0: always, it always scares me when you have these things that people are sticking records and stuff in their pockets, and just well, because it's it's there's so many people, and if you've never been in Chris's store, there's two aisles, and it's it gets tied in there, and um, that's something that always.
5: It's not. We don't get. We don't have too much theft, and. God, the karma's going to bite their ass if they do steal from us, because good Lord, go steal from a Best Buy, not from good records. (laughs) But uh, it's mainly just stuff gets moved around, and gets so hot in there sometimes people use the divider cards and the records as fans, and that that perturbs me, but I can live with it. But (laughs) we've done some crazy ones, I mean, I was real, uh, Steve Earl just did this most recent record store day, and his crew got in there about 20, 30 minutes before him, and Two of our AC units had went out, so it was like it was sweltering. It was pretty brutal, and his crew was kind of being jerks. And I, what? Why is it? A, why is it a goddamn sauna in here? I was like, because it's fucking. There's 400 people here, and we don't have any AC going on. That's why. So I was real worried that Steve Earl's gonna come in and just be like, "Fuck this! I'm not gonna play. This is bullshit." And but he was cool. I bet. Totally cool. Down to earth. I go, "Hey, pause this song." He goes, "I don't care. That makes makes it even better." and he's a sweater one of yeah sweating in that beard but one of the label reps had brought us a big like 10 dozen cookies and a big platter in the back and it was just in my office and he was hanging out in there i had a fan in there and he was eating cookies and he was just and (laughs) eating the crumbs are just getting on his beard and my kids came back there with their friends from school so it's steve earl and all my kids my kids and other people's kids eating cookies with Steve Earl waiting for him to go on. It was really cool. <laughs> and he didn't care. I mean, he was just like totally cool. And then we started talking about, of course, Towns Van Zant, And we talked about Ray Benson and Willie Nelson. And it was uh, those moments like Mike Watt did an in-store. And just talking to him, it's like I told him, I said, man, you got to write a book. Like the, all these musicians write books. He does a podcast, I think, and does a radio show and he does his little notebooks and stuff, but he like he needs to tell the story. I mean, he's got the he's He's played with Stooges, right? Jane's Addiction, yeah. Yeah. Perry Farrell, like J Minuteman, Jay Mascus. I mean he's got the dirt and but he's just like a friggin' Joe Blow on the he's not pretentious. He's like just a good dude and it's like one, two, three, four and he's It's that bass low And he's just going for it It's really cool So what's next
0: For Chris Penn And Good Records
5: Just more of the same um, I'm actually really excited I'm a huge Alice Cooper fan And um, October 6th uh, Dennis Dunaway The original bassist Of Alice Cooper Group He is uh, Doing a book signing And uh, I scheduled it October 6th Next day October 7th Alice Cooper's opening up For Motley Crue So my goal now is to, now that I've got Dennis Dunaway, I'm going to try to get the other two surviving members, Neil Smith and Michael Bruce, fly them in. And then once I got them, I'm going to approach Alice and try to get him in there. So this is a pipe dream. I'm, I normally don't talk about it till it happens, but I'm doing the opposite. I'm just like willing it out to the universe that it's going to happen. But I think it's probably 50-50 we can get Alice Cooper with uh, – with Dennis Dunaway, even if I don't get the other two guys. But I think it'll be even harder for him to say no if I have the other guys on board. But just, you know, doing the same and trying to keep our air conditioning units working up there at Good Records. We just had a compressor go out again today. Mm. It was under warranty, but the labor was a killer. But, uh Good
0: well, number. you know, we,
5: we have a label, too, Good Records Recordings. And uh, we embarked on that, and uh, it's just tough, man. It's... Uh, to do it justice, I'm always leery. like, if I really enjoy an artist, I want to like give it, give them my all, and a little bit. I, I think we kind of realize, you know, we don't have the manpower. It's not even about the the finances, but the finances would help to get the manpower. But you know, it's like you get this great band. There's a guy Kenneth Kemp, who was in this band Binary Sunrise, he moved to to San Francisco, but we put out his album was killer nobody cared and you know so it's like you know we we got a publicist and it's just it's a tough game but you know we do we do releases on good records Records, we just put out a 16 deluxe seven inch their first new music in 15 years we put that out for record store day on a seven inch and they did they just did a cd uh cd release they did a seven inch release in austin on july 1st and they had four or five hundred people and they sold a ton of records and so we're doing that um Polyphonic Spree is gonna go on a 15th anniversary tour for the beginning stages of and play that in its entirety uh, Tim's done got about three to five songs with Phil Carnats that may or may not be another preteen teen scene of the album which I think are really good Phil Car- E. Carnats is a artist we put out uh, his album please sweet on uh, good records recordings and he was in tripping Daisy and he's he plays with Ike Riley now as well but uh that may do another preteen zenith album at some point and uh see what happens see where the day takes us
0: well chris penn thank you so much for coming by uh we really appreciate your time and if you've got a couple more minutes we'd love to for you to stick around and do some um some new music and um
5: i'd love for you guys to surprise me and turn me on to something somebody have you guys heard of nathaniel uh ratliff Rat- have you heard, heard of that those? yet yeah, no, 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 but, no. uh it's on Stax records it's not out it comes out august 21st and um uh, girl in the polyphonic spree choir elizabeth evans just turned me on to it and i was like i want to try to get them to open up for us but they're already on tour at the same time but that's how it works so y'all turn me on to something awesome definitely stick around
0: let's do it so this week's assignment was to uh find a 1950s hidden gem uh it can definitely be a song we've all heard but try to find something maybe not so popular so Uh, no genre restrictions all it had to be was something from 1950s so this was this was really hard you know um 1950s i think an amazing decade for music so me personally i had to break it down uh i went genre and city is the only way i could do this otherwise i was going to kill myself trying to think of what i could do so why did you choose the fifties? Why did not we start early? We're gonna go. We're gonna go all the way to now. We can, so every we're week, we're, do next that. week's gonna be sixties. Why
7: did not we start at the beginning of American music? He
3: wanted to start at least forties.
0: You know, there's always. I know. Always could have been something else, Jamie. This time, Jamie's we going with the, the audible. Yeah, exactly. All right, so Jamie, nineteen fifties. What are you bringing to us?
7: Well, this is a uh, homage to my my old man. Rest in peace. He. Uh, he used to sing me "Goodnight, uh, Kalijah by Hank Williams, but I'm not going to choose that one because I did some research and found out that uh, Rose had uh, she had edited quite a bit from the original version. And you can actually listen to the demo version. I just ordered the CD online for $4.99 of his solo uh, guitar album. Is what it's called, Hank Williams Alone with His Guitar, I believe demo version of Kalijah where he uh, he has some misfires at the beginning. But I chose Ramblin' Man by Hank Williams.
2: I can settle down and be doing just fine till I hear an old phrase Rolling down the line Then I hurry straight Home and pack And if I didn't go I believe I'd blow my stack I love you baby But you gotta understand When the Lord made me He made a ramblin' man Some folks might say That I'm no good That I wouldn't settle down here But when that open road starts to call in me, there's something over the hill that I gotta see. Sometimes it's hard, but you gotta understand when the Lord. Made me, he made a rambling man. I love to see the towns passing by and to ride these rails, leave God's blue sky. Let me travel. the mountains to the sea cause that's the life i believe he meant for me and when i'm gone and at my grave you stand just say god's called home you ran
0: Man, it's just I can't. It's just so haunting. His ah, voice.
7: It is, and that he's only—he was le- He was probably twenty-eight when he
0: did that. Insane. Mm. Sounds Love like Hank he's Williams, sixty-eight. Great pick, by the way. Thank you. All right, Mr. Dave Trammell, nineteen fifties. Oh God. What do you have for us?
3: It's off my vinyl collection, so I hope it pulls up. Uh, It should. My 50s pick uh, is from Freddie Cannon off of his Explosive album. I thought it was hilarious. The album is Explosive. Uh, And track two from it is Way Down Yonder in New Orleans. We'll
9: your are
0: Freddie Cannon.
8: See, Freddie
3: think, Cannon reprise. That was awesome. a good one. That's a good one, right? Yeah. yeah. I was into it. I didn't think I knew that The song drum
0: breakdown. I'd,
3: yeah. The production. Good choice. Thanks.
0: Where was Freddie Cannon from? Do you know?
3: I didn't actually do the research. No. I mean, uh, uh, an album only says so much.
0: What else did it say?
3: Explosive. Interwebs. <laughs> right. That's the thing. I, this actually came from my vinyl collection. So
5: I'm ready. All right. Chris uh, Penn. So I, I didn't know this segment. You guys need to come up with a name for this segment. Is this the homework assignment? Or what is it called? <laughs> needs we call to, it, that's
7: what I was saying. We need music and yeah, a name like for
5: a, a segment. segment. We
3: call it Calling the Audible.
5: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Audible. Well, it was an Audible to me because I thought I was just going to listen. But uh, so I used to go to a bar called Ship's Lounge on Lower when uh, My very first move to Dallas in 1997. Still there. Had a great jukebox. And there was... a. Still does cd by a guy named johnny ace and uh the song i'm gonna play is uh i think it's called johnny ace my song yeah if, you, if you're gonna find that on your playing device um but he's got a really tragic story he uh this was this song i guess went to number one for two months but pretty couple years later or like 54 or something i think he was from houston he was at a concert and he was uh i don't think he even played yet and he had a loaded gun well he thought it wasn't loaded he wanted to prove to his buddies hey this gun's not loaded he put it up to his head and it accidentally went off he wasn't playing russian roulette but apparently this guy was gonna be something really fantastic and he he only has a limited amount of music but here's johnny ace
3: Good rip, pick. Rip and I, my heart I out, Johnny Ace. Yeah, it's I, I would have loved to have heard that at Ships. Yes. That would have meant It's so like a field more. trip to
0: Ships.
5: The Johnny Ace song, it's just real melancholy. I mean, without that, and but it's, once you know his backstory, it's just like, wow. Kind of ragtime, almost led Belly S, even though it's more R&B, but it's just got like that kind of right. weird undertone to it. It's a, the, whole al- the whole album's good. I think it's a co- compilation of singles that was on the jukebox at Ships.
0: All right. Um. So my pick, like I said, like I I, I didn't want to kill myself with this because I know I could have spent two days trying to find something. So I just went with a genre and a city. So as Dave knows me pretty well, and he said he would like his song. Uh, I went I went with New Orleans, and the genre was um, R and B. So I, I could have picked you know um, Professor Longhair or or Fats Domino, but I, I didn't. I went with Lloyd Price's Lodi Miss Claudie. Um Don't know if you guys know this song, but uh, if you're ever in New Orleans, I promise you're going to hear it at some point oh, one yeah. night in a bar or something, or just the cover band playing it. But uh, a little bit of history here. Um, it was 1952 in New Orleans, and Lloyd Price was a 19 year old kid in high school. And um, Art Roop, who's the founder of Specialty Records in LA, uh, came to New Orleans looking for talent. And there was a producer there, um, David Bartholomew, who was, he produced all of Fats Domino's stuff uh, at the time, took Lloyd down to Cosimo Matassa's j and Studios locally in New Orleans. And um, they were taking him through the song and um, just, they, they couldn't get the piano part right and nothing was working. And in comes Fats Domino. And um, he begged him, David Bartholomew begged him, he's like, hey, Fats, please you know, play on the play on this and finally talked him into it he sat on the piano started intro and Lloyd Price's uh, Laudy Miss Claudy forever in history and you'll hear Fats Domino in the background playing the piano in here so
10: very nice <laughs>
0: Miss Claudia,
5: wow. well done. Audible assignment <laughs> podcast three is done. <laughs> Stick a fork in her for the audibles.
0: Yes. All right. Now, um, every week we like to uh, bring you something that we're um, we're digging on, either a new band or a new song. So,
3: well, uh, it's easy by Sun Lux.
0: Awesome. Great pick, Dave. I love that song. Are we back on? We're back on, man. More eariness. All oh, right. We're live. We need live reactions glad I could from help. the music.
5: That's a good one.
0: All right. Um, I guess I'll go next. And So I, I picked um, someone who's been around a while, and I'm actually really late to, to this game, or his game. Um, this guy has, I think he's got his one Grammy already for appearing on a Sly Stone like revival. Yes. Um, but just a phenomenal record this guy's put out. His name's Van Hunt. Anyone familiar? Oh, from cool, there? yeah. So Van um, put out the um, the Fun Rises and the Fun Sets, and it's by a, this label, 30 Tigers put it out. Who I, I love 30 Tigers. They do some phenomenal stuff. Um, so I picked it up, and there's one track off of here that I just I can't stop listening to, and it's Old Hat by Van Hunt. <laughs>
11: Just wait. without we should all the Just
10: give the castle, to the throne. Think
11: just give the greatest. just give just give just Just cause you're the latest Where we all go, baby
7: You guys think that's fantastic
5: great. the d'angelo fans should take note of that track i mean that's right kind of there you go yeah same world a little bit
7: it's in the shazam it's new to me thank you
5: yeah
0: all right who's next jamie i'll go
7: so this guy is somewhat new to me i found out about him last year when this album came out so this is a 2014 audible His name is Mac DeMarco, and this song I chose is uh, Chamber of Reflection.
0: Chamber of Reflection. Did
7: you say I was in a rut?
0: I didn't say you were in a rut. I'm just saying those are three songs in a row that
4: have a little similarity. Thematic.
0: And you were giving me shit for the uh, Twin Peaks and Ian St. Pay.
5: Exactly. I should. I might not be able to live up to Mac DeMarco. Um, (laughs) uh, I don't think he was kidding.
0: He's not, but I thought it was funny.
5: uh, Well, you suck.
0: I think he's messing
5: with you. It's Riley Walker, uh, Primrose Green. I think this is his second album. It came out on Dead Oceans. It's uh, very Burt Janch, psychedelic, folky. Uh, this guy, he's kind of a apparently really interesting to follow on Twitter. And he uh, he's actually re-releasing an album by an older artist he found with his former label, Tomp- Tompkins Square. I can't remember the artist that they're going to re-release the album, but. Sounds really intriguing. Sounds one like those private press albums, like a Rodriguez or something like that's really good that no one knew about at the time. So look out for whatever Riley Walker's re-releasing with Tompkins Square. But this one is called "A uh, Primrose Green on Dead Oceans." <music>
0: Riley Walker. Where's he
5: from? If I had to venture a guess, I'd pick Chicago. I don't know. We'd have to. I, I, I didn't do my homework. I just picked this one on the fly. But I he's think. He's got that.
0: Um, it's, I don't know. It sounds like he could be friends with uh, Jonathan Wilson. out in
5: Yeah. LA. He was brother of Jonathan Wilson, son of John Fahey. <laughs>
0: there you go. That's cool. I've never heard of him.
5: But Jonathan Wilson is another good. You guys know about Jonathan Wilson? Yeah, he uh, great a, producer. That's a and yeah,
0: amazing guitar player.
5: He makes guitars too.
0: I didn't know he made them.
5: Yeah, check that out. Jacob told me about that at the store. He uh, good producer, but he like makes a certain kind of Telecaster or something from scratch and wow, plays with Jackson Brown. Like he's in Jackson Brown's band and does his own thing and produces records and yeah, he produced Dawes, um, I think.
0: Yeah, he produced. Um, Fear Fun by Father John Misty, which I thought was a phenomenal record. He did the new it one is. too, didn't he? Did or he no? do the second one? I think he is on uh, Okay. I, I didn't know if he did bear. the second one as well, but yeah. I I, I, I saw got him it. at I went and saw him at Club Dada, and there was again there was twelve people there and just he blew my mind. Like so good.
5: That's what we gotta figure out how to get the the good ones to so they don't quit so they keep going. Cause sometimes when you're an artist and there's twelve people in the audience, it's uh disheartening sometimes. I'm sure but have you guys seen the Father John Misty oh yeah I, I want to go see him at Kane's. has that already happened
0: no it hasn't I'm I think probably it's in sold October out. and I'll go with you because I missed the one here I was out of town
5: maybe we should road the tr- uh, music now podcast road trip let's do it
0: thank you so much for coming in man thanks
5: for having me hope this uh, continues on and good luck with it guys alright thanks everyone thank you guys